Our church family is currently working through the book of James. Uh, that'll be in the back of your Bible. So if you want to start heading that direction, we'll be in the third chapter of James this morning. Uh, you know, as I was putting this message together, I realized that James Carmack is bringing the message here. James Locke is preaching at Spanish Trail, and we're in the book of James. So I'm not claiming this is going to be the best sermon you've ever heard, but we're off to a pretty good start. I'm just saying. Sounds good so far. Uh, no, I'm joking, of course, about James preaching on James. But honestly, growing up, James was probably my favorite book in the Bible. There was a connection there, if you will, because of the name. But that got even more impressive when I found out what the book of James is called in the Spanish Bible. Does anyone know what James is called in Spanish? Santiago. Who said it? Very good. Santiago. Very good. That's even cooler, right? So the book of James, very cool book in itself just by the name, but it is rich in instruction. It's rich in direction on how we should live as Christians. But the other thing about James that you'll notice is he's pretty blunt. He's pretty upfront, in your face, doesn't pull punches. He just tells you what you need to know. And I kind of like that. Um, it's effective both for his original audience, written about 2,000 years ago, and for us gathered here today. And there are a lot of topics that are covered in James in a very short amount of time. We saw a lot of them on the screen in the video introduction. Topics like facing trials, authentic faith, peace with God, humility, living a disciplined Christian life, and then today's topic, the untamable beast. Dun, dun, dun. If you will read along with me, we're going to be reading James chapter 3, it'll be verses 1 through 12, and it will also be on the screens behind me or on your screen if you're watching online. James chapter 3, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. Several years ago, while I was working at the local TV affiliate here in town, one of my duties in the promotion department was to schedule and conduct tours of the TV station. 
And, and the ages varied all across the board. We had elementary classes and Cub Scouts. We had senior groups that would come by on their lunches. And we had high school students and college groups as well. But anytime we would have high schoolers or college groups come through, we would always try to make it a point to schedule some time for questions and answers with one of our news anchors. And that always was enjoyable because you never knew what kinds of questions you were going to get. Uh, but inevitably, every time one of those groups was sitting down with one of our anchors, a teacher or an instructor would say, could you give some advice to the students who are interested in pursuing journalism or TV news? And inevitably, the news anchor would say, find a new career. <laughs> and of course, they did that somewhat jokingly and a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but there's some truth behind that. The point is, this is a difficult business. There's a lot you don't see. For everything you do see on the screen, there's so much that takes place behind the scenes. There's struggles, there's challenges, but most importantly, regardless of who wrote the story, who spent time putting it together, who fact-checked it, which is difficult to say, or who did not fact-check it, when the anchor reads that story, the responsibility for what they say falls on their shoulders, positive or negative. And that's kind of what James is saying here when he starts this chapter. He gives a warning to any believer who thinks they should be a teacher of God's word. James is saying, look, find a different career. But in James' instruction, the stakes here are so much higher. Why? Because we are teaching the word of God. We know from scripture that God is perfect, that God's ways are perfect, and therefore his word is perfect. And because we are bringing to you, presenting the perfect word of God, we will be judged more strictly. And James begins with this warning, but then explains why it's such a difficult thing to do. It's because of our words and the way James explains it, the tongue, the tongue that produces the words. Because of what we say and how we say it, that's important. But I wanna let you know if you've just checked out because you're thinking, well, I'm not teaching God's word this warning is not just for teachers of God's word because we all have a responsibility as Christians, as Christ followers, as those who wear the banner of Christ proudly, as those who have been in the waters of baptism and come out and said, Jesus is Lord. And I want you all to know this. We all have the responsibility to be careful with our words, just like last week when Pastor Jim showed us that our works should be an indication of our faith, this week also our words should provide evidence of the Holy Spirit living within us. And yet, what a challenge it is. Can I get an amen there? Let's look today at the three things that James tells us about the tongue. The first thing in your notes is that the tongue is a powerful instrument. The tongue is a powerful instrument. It's our primary source of communication. Unless there is a physical barrier, speaking is what we do most of the time when we try to communicate a message. We have the written word, we can read the word. And I know there's been studies on how important body language is, 
but we say what we want to say and that's how we get people's attention and convey a message. And it would be ideal if it was perfect all the time. That would be wonderful if we always said what is right or what is wholesome. We always said what's uplifting or true and honest. But James reminds us and then even throws himself into the same group with us that we will all falter. Look at verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now this is not the first time that James has mentioned controlling the tongue in his letter, and it will not be the last as we continue on through the end of it. But look back quickly at James chapter one. This is verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, this person's religion is worthless. That's all of us. That's anyone, not just the teachers. That's a call for all of us to examine our hearts, examine our motives, because if we think we're being religious, if we think that we're being perfect, with the implication being that of course we're not, but we can't control our words, then we're deceiving ourselves. And we do damage to the witness of Jesus that we're supposed to be presenting well. And then that points us back to the original warning for the teachers. James 3.1, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He doesn't say that only teachers will be judged. He says the teachers will be judged more strictly, but all of us will be judged by our words. And again, why is this so important? Remember the Ten Commandments? Remember the law that God gave to Moses in the wilderness on Mount Sinai? Right? We know the, we know the ones that we talk about most often. We know don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, right? Those are the biggies that we talk about in a daily kind of life, but those actually come a little further down the list. You see, the Ten Commandments start with God and his holiness. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship any carved or created images, not bowing down or serving them. But then we get to you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, if you grew up in church or Sunday school like I did, you probably equate that commandment with, well, we don't want to use the name of the Lord or God or Jesus Christ as a curse word or as an expletive. We don't want to say that the wrong way. And I do believe that's true. Absolutely. You hit your thumb with a hammer. The first thing that comes out of your mouth should not be the name of the creator of the universe uses a swear word, right? We don't want to do that. Of course, please do not take the name of our Holy Savior and make it into a vulgar expression, absolutely. But I also think this commandment goes much further than that. You see, when an emissary or a messenger was sent out by a king, it's as if they are speaking the actual word of that king or that ruler. In Hebrew, the word is shalia. And it means that this person is as if you are talking to the person who sent them. And that's what I think is implied here. They, they better be accurate in the message they present. If a messenger of a king gave the wrong message, there would be severe consequences. They also better conduct themselves well and appropriately 
on behalf of the king. Again, there would be consequences that follow if they don't. And I believe that when we deliver a message from God's word, we must be careful in using the name of our Lord and how we deliver it. It better be accurate and it better be appropriate. Because if our words invoke God's name in vain from the pulpit or in a conversation, there will be judgment. And we have to know the accurate message to make sure we deliver it accurately. That's a warning overall. But what delivers that message? What gives it out? What sends it forth? The tongue, and that's what we're talking about today. James tells us the tongue is tiny, and yet it has so much power. James gives us two familiar illustrations to help us understand what we're looking at. Verses three through five, he says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member and yet it boasts of great things. Both examples there show that something tiny can and does control something much larger. But notice the reference to the pilot. The pilot is the one who is steering the rudder, who is making the ship move. The one who rides the horse holds the reins and pulls on the bit to steer the horse. The one who drives the car controls the steering wheel. That's why it's so important to know who or what is guiding the words that we say. Who or what is the source of the words that come out of our mouth because those words have tremendous power. Now, ideally, that power, again, would be used for good, for sure, to bring life. But James tells us our second point this morning is that the tongue is a destructive instrument. The tongue is a destructive instrument. Now, this shouldn't be a shock to hear. I'm sure we all have stories everywhere around the room and watching online that our words have wounded us. Others' words have wounded us, excuse me, in some way or some shape or form through our lives. We could all share stories about how other people's words have hurt us, some more significantly than others. But James here takes his illustration to the extreme so there can be no misunderstanding of the damage that can be done. Again, verse three, five, and six. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, by just a spark. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. You know, we hear the news headlines just about every year, the wildfires that burn. Typically, they're out in the western portion of our country, but you know they can be extreme. They threaten homes and lives and communities. They can burn thousands of acres of trees in just a matter of days. And they're always a struggle to fight and get under control. They do tremendous damage, all from one small spark. But it doesn't have to be that part of the country. We have issues here locally. One time I was actually covering a story where a controlled burn here in Escambia County had gotten a little bit out of control. It had jumped the line from where they were trying to contain it. And so we went to do some live shots from there and set up our cameras and our crew. And I remember as I approached the forest, and again, no homes were in danger. It wasn't anything severe or significant. But as I approached the line where we were going to stand, I was shocked by how hot it was. 
And we were at a safe distance. I couldn't even have reached out and touched the fire. It was a long ways off. But the heat was oppressive. It was pushing me back. It was like, are you ever cooking something in the oven and you go in too quickly? You pull that oven door open and you try to reach in and the, the wave hits you and pushes you back and tears in your eyes. Went too fast on that one. Slow down. But that's what it felt like. It felt like my body was telling me, you need to move. You are in danger. You're too close and you're about to do damage. You need to get out of the way. And James here says that's the kind of damage that can be done by our tongue. What are some ways that our tongue can do that? Well, we'd be here all day if we listed all the ways, but just a couple for you to consider. What about the problem of gossip? Gossip. Is gossip a problem in our world today? Is it a problem in our country today? Is gossip a problem in the church of Jesus Christ? At Hillcrest? Sadly, yes. Yes. And damage can be tremendous. James talks about the tongue controlling the body and says that the tongue can affect its members. Those are words we use for church people. We are the body of Christ. And I think James is making the illustration here that it can damage the body as well as the body. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Just a few words or a sentence. Did you hear? The ears perk up a little bit. And sometimes it's okay to convey important information. Sometimes it's okay. You need to know something. There's something going on and you need to be made aware of this. This is appropriate and accurate and I need to tell you this thing. But sometimes it's not. Did you hear? What? Right? We get the adrenaline starts going. The dopamine starts firing in the brain. We need to know, right? Why do you know something that I don't know that I should know? But you already know it, but I don't know it. I want to know what you know because I need to know what you know. Why do you know it and I don't know it? You just tell me. Tell me right now. Tell me. Tell me what I need to know, please. And that usually starts with, okay, but you can't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, right. Like wildfire. Like wildfire. What about the problem of slander? Slander is like gossip on steroids. Slander is now I'm intentionally trying to bring you down. I'm intentionally trying to do damage to you or your reputation or dare I say, the church. Slander is a problem as well. And the list again goes on and on and on. James says the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Let that sink in for just a second. Don't gloss over that. Our tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. So much. Things like lying, anger, negativity, worry, fear, anxiety, all destructive, all death to us and the body. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue 
and those who love it will eat the fruit that it produces. Do you have a clear picture yet of just how serious this is? No? Good, because James takes it a step further. Verse six, the tongue is a fire and set on fire by hell. Every destructive word, every unholy utterance that steers us toward death comes from the devil, comes from the enemy. It's designed to take those reins or that rudder or the steering wheel of your life and take you off course into chaos and confusion so that your life falls into complete wreckage. Well, that's a bit dramatic, Jim. That's the point. You need to take this seriously. See, it doesn't have to be a huge turn of the wheel or a massive shift to get you off course. Pilots will tell you even one small course adjustment of a degree will take you miles off course down the road, drawing you away from where you want to be, which is close to the heart of God. Even small course adjustments will send you miles off course. Small cracks in the foundation can bring down buildings. A tiny stream can carve a canyon over time. I do have one quick story I want to share with you. Last Sunday afternoon, while many of you were here enjoying Christmas at Hillcrest, which was a wonderful time together of worship, I got a phone call from one of our neighbors that our front yard had sprung forth a leak. After a quick call to ECUA and had them go out and assess it, shockingly, the leak was apparently on our side of the water meter and not theirs. Surprise. So after we got the six o'clock show rolling, I went home to assess what was going on in the dark. And so I got some things cleared away and removed the water and mud and realized that the crack in the pipe happened at the junction right at the water meter which would have been no big deal if I could have just removed that and replaced that. But it turns out the reason it was cracked was because a root had grown over that part of the pipe and had eventually pressed down enough to make it crack over the years. And I wanted to show you just what that root looked like when I got to it. I, have it, I brought it with me this morning. I wanted to just, um, what did I put? Oh, it's over. I, I left it over here. I'll be... Stay with me. Don't nobody leave yet. I'm coming back. There we go. <laughs> this is the root that did the damage to my water pipe. What had happened was around the water meter and where the pipe went through, there's a plastic box that the utilities authority places there. This root had grown through that box, cracked it open, grown inside the box right in here to where it couldn't go and began to wind itself around and then found a way out under the bottom of it. But the pressure inside had grown so much and so strong that it was pushing down on that pipe and cracked it. Now what I tried to do that night was patch the leak. That didn't work but I thought if I can get some tape on it or something, maybe that'll just hold for a while. The next morning I went out there, unequipped and unprepared, with a small shovel, a hacksaw, and a screwdriver. 
you see the damage I did there, <laughs> trying to gnaw away at what was on top of the pipe. And I thought, if I can just clear this little spot, spot out, I can get to the pipe and maybe fix that. So I dug a little hole, maybe a foot around it. Again, fortunately, I am not prepared to handle this, but I have in-laws who are. My mother and father-in-law are always first to drop everything and come running over when we need assistance. My wife, Tracy, has two brothers, Wes and Steve. They also will come and help whenever I need it, which is often over the course of my life. So my brother-in-law, Wes, came over, who had the correct tools, but he got there and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm trying to clear this, this spot right here so I can just get to it. He said, man, start digging. Start digging. I said, no, if I can just cut this one little section right here and make us a notch, I can probably start digging. Clear away the entire area. And so we started digging and cutting roots and digging and cutting roots. By the time we were done, we had about a three-foot hole around the pipe dug and then about six feet down where the pipe went toward the house so that we could adequately get to it and clean out the root of the problem. See, the roots that grow can take years, even decades, to do the damage. But once they do, the fa failure can be catastrophic. Don't let the roots grow too long. Sorry, I just don't want to carry that around the rest of the sermon. That would be, it's heavy. All right, number three, moving on. Number three, the tongue is an inconsistent instrument. Inconsistent instrument. See, James this whole time has been focusing on the negative impacts of the tongue, which leaves us to work out the positive, which is good. That would be okay if it was consistently one way or the other, right? We would know where a person stands based on their speech at all times. If one person was always speaking hope, was always speaking truth, always speaking life and encouragement and all the good things, and then the other person was always speaking negativity and always speaking death and discouragement and frustration, we would say, I want to hang out with the good guy because they know what they're talking about, and now I just want to associate with that person. But James tells us that's not the way. The tongue is the wild card, right? James warns, warns us in verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, an apple tree grows apples. Fig trees grow figs. The Gulf of Mexico is salty and it won't turn fresh one day. It doesn't happen that way and yet the tongue does both. It changes and that's our challenge. James says, you praise God with your words and then turn around and curse people who are made in his image. You can't do that. We bless our brothers and sisters in the house of Hillcrest. We bless those around us and then we get mad in the parking lot and curse them when we're trying to get out in traffic. Why are you laughing? It should not be that way. See, we encourage each other when things are going well, when the bank account's good and everything's hunky-dory. But if we don't get the raise that we were hoping for and the bills are piling up, 
or if we don't get enough sleep, or we don't feel well, or the kids won't pick up their shoes that you have asked them to put away 27 times. Look out. My family's here this morning, so they know it's directed at them. (laughs) Guilty as charged. And I'm sorry, family, for the times that my words have done that. Because of the inconsistency of our words, sometimes we don't know what's going to come out. And that's not the worst of it all. Ready for the close? James drops one more bombshell on us just for good measure. Verse eight, James says that no human being can tame the tongue. Well, that's great. Not only is the tongue powerful and destructive, and inconsistent, but apparently it's untamable. All right, thank you guys so much for being here this morning. We wish you well and hope you have a best day. We'll see you. Nah, that's not how we're gonna end it. That's not gonna be good. There is hope. There is hope in how we control the tongue. Because while no human being may be able to tame the tongue, we know the one who can. We know the one who has called us. We know the one who has redeemed us. We know the one who has justified us. We know the one who became sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. We know the one who made us a new creation. And we know the one by whose stripes we are healed. James may say that no human being can tame the tongue, but Jesus says Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there's your challenge. That's what I'm leaving you with today. What are you putting in your heart? What are you putting in? If the water at its source is corrupted, if it's filthy and dirty, it will produce contaminated water at the spring. But if the source of the water is clean, and it is pure, it will produce refreshing, life-giving water. So where are you today? If you put filth and corruption, if you put sin and fire and deadly poison in, if you put death into your heart supply, then that's what's going to come out. But if you supply your heart with truth from the perfect word of God, if you know it inside and out, if you study it, if you spend time meditating on it, if you involve yourself in every part of God's word, if you spend time in an attitude of continual prayer and humble worship and thanksgiving, then that's what will come forth, even when you hit your thumb. But it's your choice. God told the Israelites in Deuteronomy, I set before you this day life and death, blessing and cursing. Then he tells them what to do. He says, therefore you choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him for he is your life and length of days. 
Now, I believe we have that same choice today. I believe God gives us free will and puts before us life and death, blessing and cursing. And you can choose to fill your heart with life or choose to fill it with death. But you have to make the choice. You can't say, I don't, I don't really want to make that choice. I'll just, whatever. No, 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 no. You have the responsibility. You are holding on to the reins. And what you put in will come out. Because Jesus says, you are responsible for your words. And it is our spoken words that will judge us. Matthew 12 36 and 37, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people, that's us, will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So will your words justify you? Or will they condemn you? The choice is yours, so choose life.